59 degrees. So, hey, we, um, I do want to say that um, I went to uh, lunch with Carl Durant right here. Like, he's putting his head down, like, oh, my gosh, can we just say anything? Yeah, Carl has been, uh, Carl, we met for Mellow Mushroom this week and kind of talked through, um, he just, like, we sat down and, 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 and literally I listened to Carl tell stories because he is, he's doing prison ministry. He's actually a chaplain in the prisons in Cobb County and Cherokee County. And, and I, and I say that, uh, not to bring any glory to him except to say this. This morning I'm going to be talking about calling. And specifically looking at the calling of Jesus, which you've been named, we're talking about calling as it relates to Peter and Luke chapter 5. And I have to say that when I left my time with Carl, what I left was, what I left with was this very, this really, very, very clear picture. Carl had a, a God calling that was very difficult to step into, but that God has moved in his life with an excitement that, that I sat with him at Mellow Mushroom and I left with my heart excited with a, a thinking, maybe I should leave what I'm doing and become a chaplain in the, in, the, in the prisons because God was doing such incredible things in the prisons. And, and just listening to his stories of the way that God was moving in these prisoners and, and in their lives. And, this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what unbelievable fruit is being birthed because of one man step. Listen, he sat there. He sat there and told me, "Steve, I don't have any. I don't have this like training, a specific training to do this. But I'm getting it in God." Is using me, and that—that's the thing that excites me. When we talk about the calling upon Jesus, we've been talking about for the last month or so, and this calling on Jesus' life, and and this idea that that God had a purpose for him, and He prepared him, and He and He released him, and then sent him out with authority, and sent him out right with with this divine calling and purpose. I sat with Carl, and like this is what Carl has. And so today when we go through, we, we've already named the calling of Jesus. And this morning we look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at the, the calling of Peter. I want you to recognize that as we tell these stories, that it's not just history. Right? I mean, it is. So it's not just history, although it is history. It's the history of Jesus. It's the, it's the history of, of Peter. But I want you to recognize that as I sat with Carl this week and I was very aware of the call that God had on his life in the prisons to literally go to, and to, to set free those who were in prison, not literally to, to bust them loose, right? He's not literally bringing in dynamite to the prison and, get it, and breaking them out or anything like that, right? No, he's coming and he's setting those in prison free because they are bound with in, in, incredible this rejection. And so he's coming in to, to set them free. They're coming in with incredible guilt. And he's coming in and he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus and, and he's being used by God to set these men free. And so when we tell the story today of, of Jesus, we tell the story of Peter, I want you to think of Carl. And I want you to think of the calling on Carl's life, but then I want you to think about in the context, I mean, I mean, Mary would say, if God can use Carl, he can use anybody, right? No, but seriously, this idea of, that if God can use Carl, if God could use Peter, then he can use you. And so the idea this morning as we sit down is that I want you, I simply named Carl, Carl, because I had lunch with him this week, but also because I look at Carl and go, God is using Carl. God wants to and desires to call each of us and use each of us in a supernatural and powerful way. God does not bring you to church to make you feel better. Jesus brings you to church to make you whole so he can release you on his call. Does that make sense? Right? We said Jesus said, this is where the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. 
to proclaim freedom to captives, to set the oppressed free, right? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we said he is our model as he is called, so too we are called. And then Peter becomes this picture of that calling this morning. So if your Bible turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to turn in verse 1, go to verse 11. You can read on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But I want you this morning to recognize, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to name, listen, if you've, you've heard 6,000 sermons on Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, because it is one of the easiest, easiest scriptures to go preach. This calling of Peter, there are so many things that you could pull out. So I'll just say this, I'm not going to pull out everything you've probably heard of the last 40 years of your life, okay? So don't worry. So if I go, well, Steve didn't say this this morning, I'm probably not going to, but I am going to name some things that I see this morning as it, relates, listen, as it relates to practical realities of God's calling on your life. Very practical things about God's calling on your life. So everyone say this after me. I am called by God. And so this morning, with that being true, let's dive into Luke chapter 5. I don't have my Bible. I didn't put it on here, so put it on the screen for me so I can read with you. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, or Simon's, he asked him to put in a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats. And they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. All right. This morning, we're going to dive in. The first thing we see, verses 2 through 5, in the context of calling, is that the calling represents this inconvenience of obedience. When God calls us, there is always an inconvenience, or usually, or a lot of the times, there is an inconvenience to our obedience. In verse 2, we see that, that Peter, James, and John, they're washing their nets, which basically means that they're done. But they've finished fishing. Everything is done. They have put their boats on shore, pulled up to shore. They've tied them. They've put, come out of the boat. And we know they've caught nothing. And let me just tell you, as a fisherman, when you, when you fish all day or you fish all night, as much as you want to say, I enjoyed just the time out in the water, you really don't mean it. Because you really want to go home with something. This past week, my dad and I and Scott Crawford went fishing. Scott caught two. My dad and I caught zero. I was really angry about that. Right? I was like, God, where were you? I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But there's that part of me that's like, ugh. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning to catch absolutely nothing with 35-mile-per-hour winds and being 40 degrees outside. That was awesome. Had a great time, right? No. There's this dynamic that you're like, ugh. Right. And so here is here is poor Peter. He's sitting here in the moment 
And, and now he's, he's, he wants to leave. He's ready to be done. He wants to, to leave the nets. He wants to leave the boat. He wants to go home, right? He just wants to go to bed. It's been a long, long, long night of catching absolutely nothing. And then Jesus says, hey, I want you to get in the boat and come out. And Peter's thinking to himself, oh, oh okay, okay. That's inconvenient, but sure, I'm not quite done with cleaning my nets yet, but let's hop in the boat, we get down to verse 5, and he says, now I want you to get even a little, little, more, little more inconvenient. I want you now to pull out into the deep waters and take the very nets you just were washing and drop them into the lake for a catch. And again, what I want you to see in the context of calling, that there's so obvious here in this moment, this is inconvenient. We're going to look at his response in a few minutes, but there's, a, there's an inconvenience when God calls us to be obedient very often in the calling upon our lives. The takeaway is simple, right? The things that God calls us to do very often will seem inconvenient or as if having terrible timing in our lives. But the thing that I want you to recognize about inconvenience and hear this Inconvenience always revolves around selfishness, doesn't it? Do you see that? Inconvenience always revolves around selfishness. My time, this is time, I'm dumb, so tired, right? My weariness, my life, my resources, my money, all of these things in our lives, inconvenience always revolves around our own selfishness. We feel the call of God to give financially. There's a cut back at work. It's like, oh, this is not very inconvenient. Or God calls us to stop and to speak to someone when we're already late for the next appointment. Oh, that's inconvenient. Or God wakes up at 4 a.m. in the morning. Listen, 4 a.m. is always inconvenient. Isn't it, right? Oh, Jesus, you probably me to pray right now. I'm not real sure about that one. It's inconvenient because I am tired. Listen, We've been taught, listen, as you, as you know, Randall and I, we've, we've, we've given ourselves to foster care. We have two girls in our homes. Let me tell you something. Bringing two children that are not your own into your home completely throws everything up in the air. You go from 100 miles per hour to 300 miles per hour overnight. There's an inconvenience to obedience. To be honest with you, we had to, we had to wrestle through the inconvenience of knowing that when the children leave, because the desire is always reunification with their family, when they leave, it will be inconvenient to our feelings and to our emotions. Because we've attached to them. They've attached to us. We love them. When they go home, we miss them. It's going to be difficult on our girls. It's inconvenient to their emotions and to their feelings. So we've come to this reality of saying, God, to be obedient to you and to care for these children in the midst of their brokenness and the answer to the call of James to care for the orphan and the widow, God, it's going to be inconvenient to our time, it's inconvenient to our resources, and it's inconvenient Convenient to our emotions. But obedience always trumps the selfishness of our inconvenience. Even when it comes to the sacrifice of my feelings getting hurt. Inconvenience of obedience usually most always connects itself to the calling of God and the acts of obedience he's calling us to. Verse 4 through 5. 
We see this honest questioning of Peter, but full submission. And I can be honest with you, I love this verse right here because it's so like my life. Where Jesus calls me to do something and I go, mm, but, I, but I've been fishing all night. Do you see his response? Go to verse, uh, go to verse 4 and 5 if you don't mind. It says, it says this, it says, And when he finished speaking, he said to Peter, Put out the deep water and let down your nets. Verse 5. He said, Master, do you see the questioning in this? Uh, you know we told all night and took nothing, right? Like there's this honest questioning in the moment. There's this like pushback, like, uh, you know, we've already done this. But in his questioning, we see false submission. But, but Master, but, but at your word, Master, I will let down the nets. I love this reality because what we see is what our lives how many times has God called you to do something and you go, mm, and you have a conversation real quick? Before I do that, let's just talk about that. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Are you sure you'll be getting up? Because you know I didn't sleep last night. I haven't sleep the night before, and I'm really, really tired. God, are you sure? Because, really, because I know you created me to sleep and get a full night's rest. Okay, okay, okay. But I fully submit. And so what I want you to see in the context of this is this beautiful picture of having an are you sure God but I fully submit. And so what I want you to recognize in Peter is, is that there's an honest questioning, an honest reality of coming to the Lord and saying, let's have a conversation about this, but even in the midst of that, I fully submit myself to you. There's an honesty of questioning, but full submission. We see this in the life of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can this cup pass from me? But I have a different will than you do, but not it. Your will. Do you see the conversation in prayer between Jesus and the Father for an extended period of time with lots of tears was a questioning of God? You know what I mean? Not questioning of like his goodness, but saying God's having an honest conversation. I don't want to do this. Are you sure I have to? But not what I'm willing on the inside, staying asleep, but, but your will be done. And the thing I want you to see, practically speaking, is this beautiful posture of relationship that we're in with the Father and that Peter's in with, the, with Jesus is saying an honest qu- moment of questioning. But in the questioning, there is an, a heart of humility and full submission to the Father. We see that expressed very intentionally in his word, Master. You've got to recognize Jesus has already healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's already experienced the lordship and the power of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes to his boat, he's already had the moment of experience of Jesus. He's already seen the godness of Jesus. He's already seen the power of Jesus released. So when he comes, he already has this mentality and understanding of him being the servant, Peter being the servant, and Jesus as being the master. It's a sign of... Uh, of of, um, of respect in the moment. And so he comes and says, now I respect you and I submit myself to you, but I'm going to have an honest conversation before I do this, but I am fully submitted to you. This is what we're looking for in our lives, in our calling as God. We're going to have an honest dialogue. Are you sure? Lord, here's where I am, but I fully submit. In the calling of Jesus, right? The inconvenience of obedience, but even in the context of that, there is full submission with the freedom because I'm in a relationship with a loving father who I can have an honest conversation with. 
I love that. I love that picture. It goes on in verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7. He goes on and he paints this picture now of, of all of these fish being caught. And what I want to say is, I think in first, the first thing I see in verse 6 and 7 is the promise of fruit. The promise of fruit. Listen, when, when some of us read this story, we see, we see the story of a, a fish in a net. But what I see is the foreshadowing of something that's coming in the life of Peter. I believe the next day, listen, every fisherman loves to tell a good fish, a good fish story. Right? And Peter now has the most amazing fish story in the entire world. In fact, I believe the next day, the next day, because he's just a guy who loves to talk about all these great things and tell stories, the next day he's probably with James and John. Some other people's like, let me tell you, the, let me tell you what happened yesterday. Right? We had the greatest catch we've had in our entire life. It was so amazing that as we put the fish into the boat, they began to sink, literally began to, to drop down. The water level came up on our boat because the weight of the fish was so heavy in our boat. And it was a miracle of Jesus. I wish he could have been there. We were like freaking out and we were cheering and excited all at the same time. It was amazing. I believe 40 years later, Peter's looking back on that and going, Hmm. Jesus was showing me by the number of fish in the net what the fruit of my ministry would be because he called me to be a fisher of men. Do you see the foreshadowing nature of that? He's saying, when I move in you and through you and your obedience let them in that, when you're obedient to me in your call, it's going to produce fruit for the number of fish that you cannot even count. And I want you, and I believe what God's saying to Peter and Peter was saying in the moment is this was a foreshadowing of what would happen when I became a fisher of men. The fruit, because of God's authority in me, would produce unbelievable fruit because of Peter modeling true humility and submission to Jesus. I love this picture. Submitted to Jesus, obedient to him, and then he brought unbelievable fruit in his life. The idea for us as we, as our, in our takeaway, as we walk out our calling under the authority of Jesus in the power of the Spirit... And are obedient to him, even in our inconveniences, he will produce incredible fruit in you and through you. It's beautiful to see. But we see the second part in six and seven is that calling requires family. I love this picture here, right? Peter's out there with Jesus. He's in the boat. And all of a sudden, they draw the nets in as a foreshadowing, right? But it's, it's also literal. There's so many fish. The, 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 the fruit is so, is so powerful. There's so many. And all of a sudden, they say, we need help. I need help. And James and John come out in their boats with their nets, and they just start receiving the fruit. All of these fish also in their boat. And what we're going to see is in this moment, and his obedience, that he's now expressing calling that he cannot do himself. He needs James and John. He needs community. He needs 
help. He needs those who come alongside of him. Jesus was showing him, right, this nature, like you're going to be living out in obedience and fruit will be manifest and you're going to need others to come alongside of you. Luke, listen, when Jesus says Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, not by himself, we'll read it later in Luke, sent them two by two in the context of family, doing life together at Vintage, we focus a lot on family. And we, and we do that, we do that for a purpose, not just so that you can feel good and have somebody who loves you and likes you. We focus on family because you need it. I need it. I cannot fulfill my calling by myself. We have been created to live in the context of family, in community, of people that we are doing life with so that we are empowered and the fruit we manifest and they come and do it with us. It's one of those things that when we talk about doing foster care and working with Faith Bridge at Vintage, we say we want all of you to get involved in some level. Why? Not so we're trying to guilt you into doing something, but because we recognize here at Vintage, in the difficulty of being obedient to God sometimes, we need a community of care, a family who comes alongside of one another and helps those who are in the process of doing this. We're a, in fact, that's what... We've, every, church, every church I've talked to who's doing this said, do you have a community of care? Do you have people who are coming alongside who are doing this together and encouraging one another? Because it's difficult. And so we ask people to get involved. Why? To create a family. And the idea is true for all of you. Whatever calling you're in, whatever thing you're giving your life to, is you cannot do it alone. You need those who are coming alongside of you. It's the picture we see here in Peter. He needed someone to come alongside of him. He needed Family, in the context of calling that God has for you, you do it in the context of others who are encouraging, who are praying for, and who are with you, who are challenging you. Because I don't know about you, but when I run by myself, I get tired more easily and I'm more prone to stop. But as I run with others who are encouraging me and challenging me, I can run further. Calling requires family. Let me go on to verse 8. Verse 8, Peter has this moment of recognition of, of how holy God is, how holy Jesus is, right? And so what I would say in this moment, this is a phrase we kind of joke with in our staff. People come to us and we say, we say, I mean, you're awesome. We go, no, no, I'm awesome because he's awesome, right? It's kind of a phrase, kind of a joke that we have. I'm awesome because he's awesome. But we say that half jokingly, but, but very, very halfway sincere because we recognize that we are nothing and we are not awesome apart from the work of Jesus, In our lives, we are nothing but the moon. All we cannot produce any light in and of ourselves. All we can do is reflect the power and the goodness and the love and the compassion and the mercy of Jesus. At best, all we are in life is reflecting God. We are here. He is coming through us and we reflect it to others. If anything we do that produces fruit and that is awesome is simply because we're reflecting his awesomeness. And we see this pictured here in verse 8, right? Peter recognizes Jesus' power. He becomes aware of just how broken and flawed he is. He sees us and says, says Jesus, leave me because I, I am, I'm a sinful man. In the moment in verse, in verse 8, he recognizes his sinfulness. He recognizes Jesus' goodness. And so in this moment of recognizing Jesus' goodness, he all of a sudden is acknowledging 
his brokenness. He's acknowledging his humility. He's acknowledging that he has nothing in and of himself that makes him capable of doing anything of value. And scripture tells us in James that God gives grace to those people. But he opposes those who think they are the son. He opposes those who think they are powerful. He opposes those who make much of him of themselves. And so the picture here is, is Peter coming in his humility and his brokenness saying, I recognize that I have nothing to offer. And if I'm going to be awesome in all, it's because you're awesome. And the picture I want you to have in this nature of calling is that if we think we bring anything to the table of value, anything in our own power and our own strength in our lives, that it will be shown to be nothing in comparison to the greatness and the power of God. And as we embrace our calling in Christ, that we are literally saying, God, in humility, I am like Peter. I have nothing to offer. If if I'm ever going to be seen as awesome, it's simply because I'm reflecting you. I love that picture here in Peter. He names it well. Go to verse 10. Go to verse 10. And I love this. He says, hey, don't be afraid. I love that picture. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus names the reverential awe that Peter is sitting in. Like that moment of recognition. We just named it a second ago. I, listen, I, I live talking to people, realizing that most people don't have a reverential and holy fear of the holiness and the separateness of the living God. That we're really good at seeing Jesus as a buddy. Right? He's a buddy over here, and I call on him when I need him. Jesus is not a buddy. His eyes are flaming like fire, Revelation tells us. He is completely separate and other than he is. The word is holy. He is so much higher than we are. And he humbles himself to relate to us. And we are very fortunate for that. And so Peter, we see it again. We see it in 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 uh, in Isaiah. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips in Isaiah six. He's seen God in his fullness and he recognizes I am a man of says, woe to me. I should be dead. I have no business being alive because I've seen the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. Right. We had this moment, the transfiguration in, in the Gospels where Jesus kind of peels back his flesh and all of a sudden his holiness is exhibited in Peter, James and John. See it. They fall on their feet. Face and it says they had no idea what to do. So he says something like, let's just build tents and hang and hang out here. That's a good idea, isn't it? Mm-mm, right. Because I don't know what else to say, because what I've seen is just so much higher and so much holy and so much more exalted. Right. We see the exaltation of God and my fallenness. And Peter's had that moment in Jesus and in his divine love and his compassion all of a sudden looks at Peter and speaks to him in humility. How do we know it? Because he speaks to him in a language that only Peter, James, and John would get. Hey, you've seen this. I will make you a fisher of men. Like, if he said that to me as a fisherman who I love to fish, that would mean a lot. There's some of you who've never been fishing in your life, and you'd go, what? But the beauty I want you to see is that God brings his calling in language we understand. God is sensitive 
He's compassionate and he speaks to us in a way we understand. Listen, one of the things that God does for me, I love music. I listen to music all day long. I wake up, I learned 10 years ago that God speaks to me almost every morning through songs. So every morning I wake up listening to see if there's a song running through my mind. And it's like every third morning there is a song running through my mind. And so last Sunday morning, I woke up singing John Legend. My head's underwater, but I'm breathing fine. And I kept on singing that over and over and over again. I said, Jesus, what are you speaking? He said, Steve, I'm bringing you into a season where you were completely released to me in my river. And you were over your head and you are breathing fine in my presence because I'm with you. And I went, yes, Lord, amen. Listen, before I met Randall, before I met Randall, I went out, I was in the season, I guess, right after college, and, and I woke up one morning singing, get the motor running, head out on the highway, right? I was singing that song in my head, and I'm like, God, and I just, the first time it ever happened, I'm like, what is that? Why am I, just, I have not heard that song in a very, very long time, and God said, Steve, it is the time to get up because I have an adventure waiting for you, it sent me to my knees and began to pray. Oh, God, yes. My point is, God's calling you, speaking in a language I understand. And my question for you is, are you able to hear his voice? Are you taking time? Have you learned how he speaks and recognizing? Listen, I've always said he speaks to artists in an artistic way, which is completely different than how he speaks to engineers and accountants over here. And so the language that God speaks is personal because he speaks to you in the way that you hear. And so we see that here, that he speaks in language that Peter understands. I will make, just as you've you've caught these fish, I'm now making you a fisher of men. I wish that that Luke had said, and then Peter began to recall and recollect that and understand like i wish they would talk into peter peter's life and just and hear what he was thinking and feeling in the moment right because i can guarantee he's like yeah i get that i understand your language calling is spoken in the language we understand the verse 11 verse 11 then speaks to complete surrender and the nature of our calling listen says they left everything and followed him listen every bible study you ever do Every theologian that you ever read is going to tell you the exact same thing. This is a picture of the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. This is the expectation of Jesus for every follower, that they would leave everything and follow Jesus. You have to be willing to leave everything behind. Steve, what am I leaving behind? Well, you name some things, I'll name these things. You leave behind your fear. You leave behind your unforgiveness. You leave behind your comfort and your ease. You leave behind your inconveniences. You leave behind your selfishness. You leave behind your rights to do what you want to do when you want to do it. You bow down and say, God, I submit myself to you, and now I follow you and leave everything else behind. This is the nature of our surrender of our call and our call to Jesus. Jesus modeled it for us. He left heaven, everything, and came to earth. 
in its brokenness and in sin. He left everything to be obedient to the Father. It's what Peter did, leaving his livelihood for a new heavenly God-calling vocation. Our call to obedience is radical, it's difficult, and it will cost us everything. But as we read earlier, the promise of fruit far exceeds the cost. Peter's calling, Jesus' calling, this is the model of what it will look like in our lives. I encourage you, if I can read this again this week, the inconvenience of obedience, honest questioning in relationship, but at the heart of full submission, the beautiful reality, the promise of fruit through us, calling requires feeling I can't do to my own, right? He's awesome because I'm awesome. I recognize my brokenness, but I recognize he's awesome. And he uses me, praise God, right? I'm, there's a calling. He speaks and I can hear his voice and I can understand him. And I live my life in complete surrender. This is the picture of calling. Remember we said it earlier. I am called by God. And the simple question is, have you heard that calling? Do you know what it is? Have you taken time to listen? Do you recognize the places, the things in your life that he's calling you to, to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Are you aware of the brokenness around you that God is calling you to minister to? Are you aware of those that are in need? Because the same is true. God calls us to the poor. He calls us to the broken. He calls us to the oppressed. He calls us to those that are in need. Listen, our, listen, hear this and please hear me. Our, every single person has a calling to their family. That's not, that, that is a calling, but that is an understood calling. There's always a calling to those outside of your family. Listen, moms, your calling is not your kids. He gave you your kids. That's not your calling. Your call, listen, some of you are offended by that. Your calling is not your kids. It is a part of your calling. That is your life. But there is a calling beyond that to those who are broken, those who are hurting, and those that are in need. Men, listen, your job isn't your primary calling. It is a calling. You may have a primary call in the context of your job, but it's not to make money. And it's not even to provide for your family. Your job's not to provide. Jesus is really clear. That's his job. He'll provide through you. Your primary call is to the broken, to the hurting, and to the lost, and to the needy in the context of that job. He'll provide. You be obedient. And so in the context of your life, what outside of your normal day life is God calling you to in the area of the oppressed, the broken, the needy, and the hurting? And if you can't answer that, then good news. God's going to begin to speak to you in his voice and in a language you understand to open your ears and your eyes to what he has for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the call that you place on our lives as children of God. We praise you, Jesus, that you are our model. And so in the context of what you model for us, what you just expressed in the calling of Peter, that Jesus, there is a calling beyond ourselves that maybe God we've never we've never realized, we've never heard. And Jesus, you've called us onto mission. You've called us to love you and to love our neighbors around us who are broken, who are needy, God. You've called us to the poor, the oppressed, 
those in prison who need to be spiritually, physically, and mentally set free. And those are the ones you've called us to, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to die to our inconveniences. You'd help us to die to our selfishness. You'd help us die to our faulty religion. I pray to help us to die to all of these things, God. I pray, Jesus, that you would you'd help us to, to be awakened, Father God, to the call in our lives. And we begin to give our lives away as we are loved and encouraged and blessed by you, walking in the authority of what you've given us, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way in us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.